Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Praise the Lord. Go with me in your Bible tonight to... Hallelujah. Go to Ephesians. We're studying the subject of Christian parenting. The Bible has a lot to say about parenting and the power and the grace that's available to parents. Amen. Praise God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You ought to teach your children that verse. They ought to know that. Amen. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we're discussing what it means to bring children up in the training and the admonition of the Lord and the power and the grace that's available to parents to do that. Amen. One verse that we looked at, and we'll just quote it, and uh, you ought to know it. It's over in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a wonderful verse of Scripture. Hallelujah. That verse of Scripture set the course of my life as a parent. It's the verse of Scripture that I locked myself onto, received it into my heart, received it as truth, and declared it over myself and my family and my, my children, my household. And God has honored that, praise God. And what God did for you, for me, he'll do for you. He'll do for anybody. Amen. Glory to God. And so tonight we want to look a, a little bit further into this. Uh, you're in a, the book of Ephesians. Go back to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. And let's look at verse number 14 and 15. Paul was talking about the mystery of Christ and, and uh, the great goodness of God and his plan for our lives and so forth. In verse 14, he said, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Uh, one translation, well, let me read the, the Amplified. There's several good translations of this, but uh, the Amplified version, I think, has as good as any uh, on this verse. Verse 15, it says, he's talking about the bowing his knee to, before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15 from the Amplified Bible says, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That Father capital F, that father from whom all fatherhood takes its name and takes its title and derives its name. What this is telling us is that the very concept of fatherhood, all fatherhood in heaven and in earth, the very concept of father comes from God and fatherhood as we know it takes its title and derives its name and its meaning from our Father God, amen? And uh, go with me over to the book of Genesis and we'll see this begin to unfold for us. In the book of beginnings, God revealed some very important things about the family and about his plan. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed Adam and Eve, man and his, and his wife. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God intended 
man to reflect himself. That's why he created man in his own light image and after his own likeness. Man was supposed to and did in the beginning mirror or reflect the highest attributes of God. In his moral excellence, the way God created Adam and Eve, they reflected the brightness, that light that now is described as being unapproachable. They reflected that light in uh, their their mental ability and, and, and mental power. Adam was given the instruction to name every living thing on the earth and he did it, he could handle it. So in that we see the wisdom and, and of God reflected in man. In uh, the dominion God gave Adam and Eve, you see the reflection of God's power over creation. Man was supposed to mirror that and act that out on the, on the earth. But above everything that God is, he is love. Everything that God has, he has love. It is his highest attribute. It is his most crowning and overwhelming uh, character and attribute is God is love. Man, more than anything else, was supposed to reflect the love of God. And the way he was to reflect it was in his family life. The family life of man and women and their children, a man and his wife and his children as God created them was to be a, a, a testimony, an example of the love of God. Now, it says here that man, that God created them male and female. In the creation of man as male and female, we have the unity that is in the Godhead. The, the, there, anybody that, uh, all adults know, put it this way, all adults know that men and women are different in a varying uh, number of ways. Not only physically, but in their, the way they approach everything in life. We hear the concept left brain, right brain, all of that, I don't understand, I don't know which one is which who's on the left and who's on the right. But men and women look at things and approach things from a different perspective. And it's inherent in uh, the way we're created. It took man and woman to fully represent all of the concepts and, and attitudes and heart of God. We, we know God is referred to most often as father but if you read through the scriptures, you will see very often that there are motherly traits that are attributed to God. You know, Jesus said, as a hen would gather its, its, its uh, young under its wings, I would have gathered you. And, and, and the Bible talks about God nursing his children. There's every aspect of, of the divine nature of God. In order for God to fully express it, it had to be expressed in male and female. And so in the unity of, of male and female, we have the oneness and the completeness of God demonstrated. But then he not only created the man and female, he said, be fruitful and multiply. You see, in multiplying... It was the establishing of the family on earth as a replica of the family in heaven. You know, the father and his only begotten son. There's a relationship between the father and the son. And, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a family relationship. He, he, the father loves the son. The Bible says in the New Testament, when we were born again, we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. So you have that parental, that, that, uh, that uh, yearning and love and affection of the father towards the son and the son towards the father. Well, see, that's, that's why God gave us the ability to have children. God intended for the family life to reflect the family in heaven. In Genesis, you're here in chapter one, in verse one, we, we, a lot of times we read, we read over this, but it says in the beginning, God created, created the heavens and the earth. You see the two, heaven and earth, are in correspondence with each other. 
The home in heaven with the Father there and the home on the earth with the Father's here. There's a, correct, there's, a, there's a correlation between the two. But of course we know that sin entered. I tell you, sin is awful. We so little appreciate how awful sin is in the eyes of God. And we should pray that we'd have a greater understanding of how awful it is. Sin tried to ruin everything God started. It was, it was the entrance of sin that brought every tear that's ever been shed on the planet. Every heartache, every sorrow, every disappointment anyone's ever experienced, it came as a result of sin. And no one is grieved as much as God is. No one, no one knows sorrow like God does. No one has experienced loss like God has. It all came as a result of sin. Uh, you know, earthly fatherhood, as it was created in the beginning, was in the likeness of God. The passing on to one's child, the life and character of God, that was the blessing that was given to man that, that we would be able to, to have children and pass on to our children the life and character and nature of God. God created Adam in his own image after his likeness. Adam then was to create his children not only in his image and likeness, but that would be the image and likeness of God. What a wonderful plan. But sin ruined it. Now, through the father, the child partakes of a sinful nature instead of the nature of God. Partakes of a sinful nature in his flesh. Of course, the, the age of accountability comes too soon. And condemnation is the legacy because sin passed upon all men and all have sinned. So you have that, you know, condemnation that has fallen upon every man. And all too often we see right before us every day, we see too often the home is the path not to heaven but to hell. We see it all around us. We see parents bringing children into the world with no knowledge of God, no thought for God, no place for God in their lives. Those little innocent children, they're alive unto God, but they're destined for hell because there's no one there. The parent is incapable. He doesn't know God either. And it's, and it's just a, a matter of time before the age of accountability comes. Sin revives and the child dies. And, and so often, that's the end of it. That's the end of the story. They live their life, go out to, into eternity, don't know God. It's a, it's a terrible thing that happened. But what I want to talk to you tonight is how grace restores the family too. Go with me over to Romans chapter 5. Everybody knows this verse. Romans chapter 5. Verse 20 Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know, that's true in every arena. It's true wherever sin is found, where it, no matter how much it abounds, grace much more abounds. God has shed his grace on every area of sin. There's not one place that sin has touched that grace hasn't been poured out. Praise God. Oh, thank God for it. Grace provides a way to restore God's ideal in the home and family on earth to its heavenly pattern because what sin destroys, grace restores. Amen. Every parent should understand this. The God who created the family has redeemed it too. We're going to see what, what, what that entails tonight. God has redeemed the family. He has made a way. How else could Joshua stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? How else could the scripture say, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it? How else but by grace? How else but by redemption? Look to God. Parents, look to God as the foundation of your family life. 
Make that the foundation. God is your foundation. His word is your foundation. His revelation is is your foundation. Whatever the word says about home and family, that's what you believe. Make God and his word the foundation for your life. And then look to him in faith every day. Look to him in faith and let his thoughts on family be your thoughts. I think before we get through, we'll, we'll all see that sometimes our thoughts aren't God's thoughts. We, we often find ourselves, when we, we least realize it sometimes, really thinking the thoughts of the world. I've told you in previous sessions how, you know, the church that I grew up in and, and our movement, I guess, because everybody that I knew was like this, we, we didn't think the thoughts of God concerning family life. We, we knew what God wanted, but there was so much fear. You know, the idea, there, there, there wasn't confidence in, in uh, growing up, my parents and, and, and the, the leaders of the church that I, that I came out of, uh, parenting was never presented as uh, an absolute win situation. In fact, most, most parents, at least the ones that I knew and, and, and I best knew, of course, my family, lived in fear of whether or not their children would be saved. Just Just fearful. And, and praying, but praying in fear. Not praying in assurance, not praying in faith, but praying in fear. We have to get rid of those thoughts and thank God's thoughts. Go with me over to Genesis chapter five. <clears throat> Genesis chapter five. You can learn a lot about redemption today by looking at the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter five, let's read verses one, two, and three. Now this is, is these verses uh, look back. This is sort of a summary of what had happened in previous uh, verses and then looks forward in verse three. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Of course, this wasn't the first child. In chapter four, we have the story of the first two children, Abel and Cain. And uh, in chapter four, look at verse number eight. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Chapter four, verse eight. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You see here that Adam after his fall, begat children in his own image and his own likeness. You know, it's, it's a trait of divinity that a man has the power to bring forth new life in his own likeness and image because that's what God did. And God passed that. that don't, don't go out of here and say that I said we're divine. I said it's a trait of divinity. It's a characteristic. It's a high privilege of, of deity and, and divinity to be able to, to pass on, to create children in your own image, in your own likeness. And God gave man that power. But Adam the fallen brought forth a son in his own sinful image and likeness. One by one fell blow, sin in conquering Adam conquered the whole race. Just like that. But as the parental relation has become, in effect, the strength of sin, as God has restored it, you're going to see it can become the strength of grace. And see, the family did become the strength of sin because that's where sin was passed down. And no family on the earth except Mary and Joseph's family, no family has ever escaped that. No child has ever escaped that. 
That's where the sin nature comes from. It comes from our parents. Now, uh, you're familiar with this verse. I'm going to read it to you. We won't have to turn with, to it because you've, you've heard it and quoted it. Jesus was asked about the commandments. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Everybody say first commandment. What is it? That we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Does anybody know what the second one is? To love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the second is like it. The second commandment is like the first, but it's a little different. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He went on to say there is no other commandment greater than these. See, these two commandments are the sum of God's will for man. I mean, you, you follow it? Jesus said on these two commandments, everything hangs. All the law of the prophets, it all hangs on this. And, in the, and he's talking about the Old Testament. In the New Testament, if you fulfill the commandment of love, you fulfill all, fulfill all commandments. So to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, mind, and, and, and being, and to love your neighbor as yourself, those are the two commandments that sums up everything. We well, see Adam transgressed the, fr- the first and cast off the love of God. What did Cain do? Cain transgressed the second and became the first and the originator of hatred and murder. The child's sin was the fruit of the father's. And you know that's still true today. It's still true. We so often see in our own children our own sinful failings. Yeah. You know, you you, uh, very often, you find it difficult to discipline your child about their outburst of anger because you know they got it from you or whatever it might be. And, and really everything's that way. You know, you don't want your little, even when children are real small, you know, you teach them not to lie. And sometimes they can almost break your heart because you look like, they look like they're just degenerates. They'll just lie. Little old things. They'll just bold-faced lie at you. You think, what's wrong with my child? Well, honey, they got it from you. <laughs> I don't lie to my children. I don't lie. Listen. The sin nature of their flesh that causes them to lie came from you. They're a liar because of the nature that you imparted to them. Makes it a little difficult to, uh, to be overbearing. We still have to correct them. It's still our responsibility. Somebody said, well, children will be children. That's right. Parents will be parents too. They should be. Just because children are just being children doesn't relieve the parent of the responsibility of being the parent. But we know our children are sinners because of the nature we gave them and they have to be born again. But be encouraged, parents, as surely as God visits the sin of the fathers to the children, he will no less remember his mercy to the fathers and cause the children to partake of that mercy as well. God is just as faithful to make sure that mercy and grace follows the parents to their children. Parents should make it, we should all make it our pursuit. I I say I include myself because I still have children. I'm still a parent. That my children may not be dependent children. They may have children of their own, but they're still my child. They're still my children. Amen. We should all make it our purpose and pursuit that grace would transform the family life into the image that God has for it. Uh, in Genesis here in 5.3 it says Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness and after his own image you know this can refer not only to the blessing lost because we know it's talking about Adam begetting a son in his sinful image but uh, it can can, can also refer, refer to the grace that restores our families. Now, I'm not, do, do not by any stretch of the imagination think that I'm saying that by natural birth, a believer can beget a child with a renewed nature. That's not what I'm saying. But what nature cannot accomplish, faith in the promise of God can. 
Believing parents have the promise that their child may be born again after their likeness. See, that's what I believed. When, I, when my children were small, I knew that the age of accountability was approaching. I knew that, that sin would revive and they would die. I knew that spiritually. I knew that they would fall from their place of innocence. And I knew that that was directly my fault because they got that nature in their flesh from me and that's what would rise up and cause them to disobey God from their heart, make a conscious decision to break God's moral law. And that's when spiritual death would take place, just like it did in Adam. I knew that, but I also believed and, and absolutely expected them to be born again and, and then have my new nature. Amen. It comes from God, but the parents do a lot to accomplish it. Believing parents, like I said, have the promise that their children can be born again after their likeness and that, will, and that God will use the parent as an instrument for such grace. Again, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he'll live for God just like you've taught him to all the days of his life. Praise the Lord. Uh, Joshua, you know, I, I referred to Joshua. Go, go with me over there. It's such a wonderful declaration that he made but have you ever asked yourself the question uh, how could he make it how could he make the statement that he made I have go to Joshua 24 Joshua of course is addressing the leaders of Israel and all of the children of Israel he says in verse 15 and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, how could he say that? How could he say that with so much confidence? Was this just, uh, uh, was this just you know, bragging or, or uh, you know, boastful confidence just in himself? Did he think that he was special, that he could do anything? Listen, as a parent who stands in faith where their children are concerned, it must not be a prideful thing that I can pull it off. No, your confidence is in God. The reason Joshua was able to make such a, a powerful statement was because he knew something about covenant. He knew that there was a covenant that involved his family. And we get that from, from Genesis chapter 17 when God was dealing with Abraham. In Genesis 17, verse number seven, I want you to look at it. This is real important. Genesis 17, seven. Now, I, I want to I tell you something that when my, when my first child was born, Angela and I were not, Pastor Angela and I were not in fellowship with the Lord. And we got back into fellowship with the Lord when he was about two, I guess. I, I did. She, she was a little slow to come around. But uh, God supernaturally led me. I didn't know as much about this then that I, that I know now. I didn't know what I know now then. Uh, but it, God supernaturally led me. And I just had a couple of verses of scripture. I had train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And, and Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. On those two scriptures alone, that was all the revelation I had. But faith came from those verses. And I later picked up this book, it's entitled, How to Raise Your Children for Christ by Andrew Murray. It's a, it's a classic if there's ever been one written. It was written by uh, Andrew Murray in 1952, the year I was born. And uh, I think the original title was The Children for Christ. Then they later changed it to How to Raise Your, How to Raise Your Children for Christ. And I think now the new, newer version that's been out for quite a while as well is entitled Raising Your Children 
raising your child for Christ. There is so much in this book. And, and I've learned so much, but, and, and it helped him. But my children were, were, I think, grown or almost grown before I ever got my hands on this. But I discovered so much in this book that I was actually practicing and, and really didn't have the scriptural understanding of it. I just had a strong faith in God. This book will bless your socks off, parents. You ought to have, every Christian parent ought to have this book. Now, it's out of print no, it's not out of print. Okay, it was out of print. It's back in print. We can get it. Uh, they're about $10 paperback. Now, our bookstore isn't large enough to have uh, a lot of unused inventory. And so uh, books that, that are more costly like this, we like to know who's going to buy them before we order a slew of them. How many would like to buy this book? They're, like I said, they're about $10. We can order them. Uh, can somebody count that? Dan, why don't you count? Count, count those hands. Raise them up high, sir, but don't raise two hands unless you want two books. Iris has got three fingers up. That means three books. Let's see who's right. Thirty-five. Does that count Iris' three? That's thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Uh, yeah, we gave our two sons, uh, each of our sons, a copy of this. When uh, I don't know if we gave it to them when they were married or right before they, when they had children, we gave them a copy of this book. Uh, it, it's a phenomenal book. And so a lot of what uh, I'm teaching tonight comes from this. Uh, you'll, you'll in the, even in the preface of the book, you'll, you'll right away recognize some things I say when we have baby dedications. But uh, it's a phenomenal book. Like I said, I, I instinctively knew some of these things but didn't know the scriptural basis for it. Uh, have you found Genesis 17? Verse number seven. It says, I will establish my covenant. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants in, your generation, in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now listen to the last part of this. To be a God to you and to your descendants after you. That's his offspring, his children. He said, I will establish my covenant and it'll be an everlasting covenant and I will be a God to you and to your children. You can take that to the bank. We have that covenant today. We have the blessing of Abraham. What God said to Abraham belongs to us. He said, I will be a God to you and to your children. Now, I, I didn't see that at the time, but just from the two scriptures I had, I knew there was never a, a doubt in my mind that my children would not be saved. Never, never, because I settled it. I settled it in my heart. I, I believed it. I prayed about it one time. I accepted it, and, and it became the law of my heart. But see, I have covenant basis for it because God said, I'll, I'll be a God to you and to your children. Amen. Andrew Murray said this, as faith and prayer claim the promise and the power of God, the influence of the daily communion will make itself felt and there will go forth from the consecrated lives of father and mother a secret but, but, might, but mighty power to mold the lives of their children, either preparing them as vessels of grace or establishing and perfecting them in it. And, and, and I knew that. I knew that there was a power operating in our home. I, I didn't say it as eloquently as he did, but I knew that by my faith that I had released a power in my house and that it was working 24 hours a day in my home. There was a, there was a mighty secret grace and power working. And I knew it came as a result of faith. I mean, I, I wasn't taking credit for it so much. It was the power of God, but I knew it was mine. I knew it was mine. It's yours too. Parents, this is, this is a, a good rule to live by. Always be what, you're, what you want your children to be. Let parents be what they want their children's children to be. You want your children to love God, you love God. 
You want your children to live right, you live right. You want your children to be respectful, you be respectful. Amen. If you want your children, if you want to keep your children from the sin of Cain, who loved not his brother, then you beware that you don't fall to the sin of Adam, who didn't love God. Because one brings the other. Say, oh, I love God, I love God, I love God. Do you wholeheartedly love him? Do you love him with everything in you? Have you sold your life out to him? Your children need for you to do that. They need you to sell out to God. Because again, what happened in Adam's life resulted in Cain's awful tragedy. Let the love of God be the rule and the fragrance of your home. You know, the love of God, in spite, listen, in spite of your failures, my wife and I made a lot of mistakes. Our home was not always harmonious. There was not always peace in our home. But in spite of our failings, we loved God. One, you know, Angela came in just, to, you know, just a, a couple years after I did and the love of God, even in spite of our failures, the love of God could be tech, detected in our home because we loved him and we're serious about it. To experience the transformation of our homes from that of paradise lost to that of paradise, paradise regained, ordinary half-hearted religion will not suffice. See, we have to experience the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and in our homes. It's not enough to just have it shed abroad in your heart. You have to, for it to be shed abroad in your home, you have to love others in your home. There has to be love demonstrated. Like, I'm, like I said, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It's better for you to be. It's better for you to get it right all the time, as much as you can. But what I'm saying is when there's love there, there might be momentary uh, times where the, your flesh gets the best of you, but, but love is more powerful than that. It's more powerful than your mistakes. The grace of God is more powerful than sin. Amen. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 7. This is, this is marvelous. Genesis chapter 7. I wish I knew some of these scriptures or to apply them this way way back then. <clears throat> Genesis chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You know, Noah had three sons. One of them's name was Ham. He was shameful. His character didn't deserve the ark. But God said, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And then turn, hold your place there because we're gonna come back. Go over to Hebrews. We're gonna read about this again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven. Hebrews eleven seven. I'm gonna wait till I hear the pages stop because I want you to read this. Hebrews eleven verse seven. This is the New Testament commentary on what we just read, or what we will read. By faith Noah. How? By faith. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Hallelujah. See, God regards the family as a unit. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But God regards the family as a unit with the father as its head and representative. Now, I understand that there are families that don't have fathers at the head. 
Some of, some of you are, are wives that uh, uh, you don't have husbands. There's no, you, you have, you have, you're trying to raise your children yourself. Listen, God will give you grace to step in that role. He'll absolutely give you the grace to step in that role. But I'm talking about the family as God planned it in the beginning. God regards the family as a unit. We see that here. And, and he treats the, the father as the head and the representative of that, of that, uh, of that family unit. The unity of parents and children is what gave sin its terrible power in the world. Isn't that right? Because of the unity, because of the parent passing on to their children that sin nature, that unity that that represents is what gave sin its terrible power in the world. Because children inherited the sin nature from their parents. The family was sin's strongest stronghold greatest stronghold the family think about that the family that God created became the greatest stronghold of sin because that's where it was passed down Noah's deliverance if you go back and you look in the, in the previous chapters at all that had happened up until the time of Noah Noah's deliverance was God's first great act of redemption on behalf of a sinful world it's the first great act of redeeming mankind. Notice the elements that were involved. Mercy in the midst of judgment. Life out of death. Faith as the only channel through which the blessing comes. And family was to be the means of grace. It was at this time that it was revealed that the family was to be one means of grace. The family had been sin's mightiest ally the chief instrument through which it had acquired such universal dominion. This unit was now to be rescued from the dominion of sin, to be adopted into the covenant of grace. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5. Now sometimes people would, would pause at that and say, can that be true? Is what happened in Noah, does that represent uh, God extending grace through the family? Well, absolutely. God rescued family from the dominion of sin and brought it into the covenant of grace. Romans 5, verse 20, we read, says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. How could that be true if sin alone had the power through the parents to secure dominion over the children? If sin alone, if sin, listen, if sin alone has the power through the parents to bring the children in under the dominion of sin, if sin alone can accomplish that, then Romans 5.20 is not true. Because 5.20 says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Hallelujah. Andrew Murray said this. He said, no, in this very thing, we are to have one of the brightest displays of redeeming grace, that the relation of parents and children, which had become the great means of transmitting and establishing the power of sin, was much more to become the vehicle for extending the kingdom of God's grace. Every parent ought to get a hold of this. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how young or how old your children are. You ought to get a hold of this. The parent who is righteous in God's sight is dealt with not only as an individual, but also in his relationship as a parent. Now, I didn't say that your children are going to be born again because you're born again, automatically. That's not what I'm saying. Every, like I said last week, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Every person must be born again. Every individual must make a decision for Christ. But what I'm saying is, that the parent who is righteous in God's sight is dealt with not only as an individual, but also in his relationship as a parent. When God blesses, he loves to bless abundantly. It overflows to his entire house. Go with me. Let's look at some New Testament verses. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll just illustrate this. 
I'm going to say it again. This is, you, you, you might even want to write this down. The parent who is righteous in God's sight is dealt with not only as an individual, but also in his relationship as a parent. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 14, it says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, that is the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, it doesn't mean they're born again. It, all it's saying is that, that the believing wife has a sanctifying effect on her husband. God will bless your unbelieving husband because of you. And, and many of you wives could raise your hands and testify, you've seen that. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. Before Pastor Angela made the decision to come to Christ, there was a blessing on our, home, on our entire home. She was part of it simply because of, the, of, the, of God dealing with me, not just as an individual, but his grace was on me as the head of my household. And he said, because of this, your children are holy. That means your, chil your children are set apart for God in a very unique and very powerful way simply because God sees you righteous. That's a powerful thing. I didn't know it years ago, but I saw the effects of it. It wasn't until later when I studied the scriptures and I realized, you know, that's absolutely the truth. There was a, there was a power at work in my children's lives. There was grace on them that other kids in the neighborhood didn't have. It's because I knew God. God knew me, but he not only knew me, he knew my wife, he knew my kids because of me. He, he knew my wife, he knew me because of her. Hallelujah. Go to, go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Peter is telling the story of how he was summoned to Cornelius' household. Verse 12, Acts eleven twelve. 12. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words whereby you and all your household will be saved. What did the angel say? He said, your, your whole household's gonna get in on this. This angel, this angel said, Simon Peter will give you words by which you and all your household, everybody in your household. Well, when Peter got there and preached the word, what does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit fell on everybody who was there. Glory to God. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because God, God saw this man and his family as, as, a, as a unit. Go over to the 16th chapter. Verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydda, Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord had opened her heart, that's singular. The Lord had opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. Notice, she and her household were baptized. See, she believed God and that grace fell on her whole house. They all came in. in, the, in here in the 16th chapter, go over to the 31st verse. This is the Philippian jailer. He said, sirs, when, 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 when Paul and Silas, you know, the doors of the prison were open, their bands came off and the, and the jailer came in and thought they were all escaped and he said, no, we're here. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now, when they had brought, before, brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. He just says it over and over and over again. This is the way God intends it to be. He's made provision for it. Go to the 18th chapter. Look at verse number eight. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Hallelujah. And then go to chapter 21. Chapter 21. Verse eight, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. He was an evangelist and his daughters were saved and spirit filled. It doesn't say there was an evangelist and two kids were in prison and the other one was a dope addict and one of them preached. You see that a lot. It's because, it's because we haven't been taught this. People, people don't know. They've, they've, I know, I, I witnessed it. I witnessed preachers whose kids were crazy. Just now, now, I was too. I ran away from God because my parents didn't know this. But one thing about it, I had a praying mama. She would not stop praying for me. Much to my chagrin at the time, I didn't like it. But she kept praying for me and, and God worked in my life. But I tell you what, I saw a lot of those preacher's kids go out. Terrible things happened. But here it said this evangelist had four daughters who prophesied. That means they were spirit-filled believers, praise God. That's the way it should be. Amen. <clears throat> the ark talking about Noah here, the ark in which the parent is to be saved is meant for his children too. For the parent's sake, it is for their children as much as for them. You know, as much as I love God, I would, I would think it horrible to know that my kids weren't saved and weren't gonna spend eternity with me. I can't imagine anything so awful. It's not meant to be that way. I think too often we've looked at salvation and the gospel and people being saved as just an individual thing and, and haven't realized that God intends for your family to come in. God told Noah, take your family into that ark. The ark is for the whole household. And, and for the way, the way Andrew Murray said it, and for my sake, as well as for the sake of the children, he includes the children. Not only for their sake, but for my sake, for your sake. Because how empty, how empty would it be to know that you're gonna go to heaven, but your children aren't? Because hell is real. Eternity is unending. The ark is to be the house of the entire family. Now, when he said come into the ark, you and your household, it was not only a promise but a command. He said, you bring your children into the ark. Now you say, well, that was what he told Noah, but is God saying that I have the right to bring my children into salvation? Absolutely. You have the right as a parent not to demand it of your children. I'm not talking point, about pointing your finger at your children's faith, face and saying, you're gonna serve God. I never said that. I didn't use God as a, as a means of punishment or, or coercion. But I'm talking about before God, between me and God. I have the right to demand in the realm of the spirit. My children will be saved. You have the right to do that. Your children may be 45 years old. Do it. Do it. Use your faith. Yeah, there, you, you've got some things uh, uh, working against you. Yeah. T 
time and, and their lives and everything they've gotten involved in, that's working against them. But faith is powerful. Take your stand in faith and make up your mind that before that child goes to his grave, he will know God. He will be born again. He will serve God. You make that commitment to God. Go with me over to, uh, I don't know if, I, I'd never really thought about this, but this is good. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that's a pastor, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Notice verse four. One who rules his own house well, having his children, that is his, his younger children, his, his uh, uh, dependent children, in submission, with all reverence, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how he, will he take care of the church of God? Now, go over to Titus, and there's a similar passage in the first chapter of Titus. And it, it's worded almost the same, but there's slight variation. <clears throat> Titus chapter one. Verse five, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. <clears throat> if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation, and the margin of my Bible says debauchery, or insubordination, that's rebellion. For a bishop must be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, holy, just, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he, he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince those who are contrary. Notice, he said, if a man is blameless, verse number six, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of debauchery or rebellion, for a bishop must be blameless. What he's saying here is that a bishop is to be blamed if his children are unfaithful, rebellious, unruly, or like it says in, in Timothy, uh, let me find it, Reverent says a bishop is to be blamed. In, in, in fact, he can't serve as a bishop. Now, how could God say that if a man's children aren't faithful, don't serve God, aren't respectful, if they're rebellious and, and troublemakers, how could God say that disqualifies you from being a bishop if it's, if it's out of my control? If I don't have control over that, if, if it's not up to me, how can God hold me accountable and disqualify me and, and blame me? He says, because again, right after he said a man must be blameless. So that means that, a, that a, a minister is blameworthy and shouldn't really be in the office of a pastor if his children are not living for God. Now, how can that be if I don't have a right to it? If I don't have a promise from God, an absolute assurance from God that if I do right, if I believe right, if I teach them right, they will serve God. If that's not true, then God's unfair. That's true. Hallelujah. It says that by faith, Noah prepared an ark and saved his household. Glory to God. Be assured, and I'll close with this, your children are meant to be there with you. God means for your children to be in the ark. Confidently trust God for the salvation of every child. Every child. Raise and train up your children in this confidence. 
they will grow up with that confidence. See, the confidence that, that Angela and I had, the confidence that we had where our children were concerned, I didn't tell that to our kids. They just picked that up. Confidence in them became confidence for them. There was just an atmosphere of faith. They got it. There is room in the ark for all your children. God expects you to bring them in. Not hope and pray for their salvation, but rest in bold and confident faith that it cannot be otherwise. Then I wish I had time to spend time on this. Maybe I'll get into this next week. Glory. Raise your children in the victory that living in the ark affords. Raise your children in the victory that living in the ark affords. The blessings of God will be the greatest teacher in your children's lives. That's what I meant when I said live by faith. Let your children see the, the, the superiority of the life with God and it so far outshines anything the world has, even in their teenage years, even when the world is pitching everything they can, but it's all tawdry and gaudy and flashy and cheap. They'll see right through it. When they have the real knowledge of God, they've been raised up in God's blessing and his favor and seeing God come through time and time and time again because their parents' faith. You think they'll turn to the weak and beggarly elements of this world? No, they won't. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Glory to God. God is good. I'm gonna say this, and I'm going a little later, but stay with me. Camp is coming up. And every year, every year, we have this problem. Parents will bring their kids to camp and right after camp, they'll take the kids out of church for two, three weeks, months sometime. Send them on vacation, go see the grandparents, go off somewhere. We have some children, might be yours, we have some children that are resistant to the move of God. Pastor Greg and, and, and Steve over there, they teach the word of God to them. They have praise and worship. Some of our teenagers stand there like this. One, one kid a couple of weeks ago pretended to be asleep the entire service. She just sat like she was asleep. Pastor Greg said he watched her. He said, I know what she wasn't asleep because every now and then she'd open her eyes and look over to see who was looking at her. But she, what I'm saying is there are some kids that are fighting God with everything they have. But you see, we only have them for a, a, a couple of hours a week. And then they're back in the home. Might be strife going on. Might be lack of faith going on. They're back with their other culture. You know, that ungodly culture in school or wherever. We take them to camp or to, it happens every time, camp or retreat. We get them off for a few days where they are saturated with the anointing. They can't get away from it. I mean, they are around, the youth, they're in the youth group. They eat, drink, live, sleep, and breathe youth ministry. And they have services in the morning and services in the afternoon, even their playtime. They're, they're completely removed from that ungodly environment and they're just put in an, an environment where they can't get away from it. And every year we see tremendous breakthroughs in some of those kids that have been just so hard to get through and they, they, they finally open up and they start worshiping God and they have real genuine experiences with the Lord. And every year it never fails We'll come back and a parent will, will take one of those kids and they'll come back on, what time do they get back from camp? Friday night, on Sunday, they're not in church. They don't show up. And they don't show up Wednesday night. And they don't show up for two weeks. And when they do come back, they've lost everything. How dumb is that? That is so ridiculous. I know I'm being, being strong on you, but that's ridiculous. You know, the scripture in the Bible says it's better to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn your back on it. Why? Because every time that happens, the child is more hardened afterwards than they were before. Because they, they, they'll come back and they get all built up in God. 
They'll come back and suddenly all of that influence is taken away from them and they're thrust back in the school or they're sent off to grandparents or they're off with their parents and there's no family devotion. There's no movement of faith and believe in God in the home. And particularly if they get around their school kids and all of a sudden the pressure and the environment, they begin to think, I don't think that was real. That wasn't real. I just got caught up in them. It was very real. But the devil lies to him and says, it wasn't real. You just got caught up in the excitement and the emotion. That was nothing. This is what's real. And they lose it and they're harder to get the next time. Let me just ask you this. Parents, you're the parent, not me. I respect parental rights. But I'm asking you, if you're not going to let your kid come to church and make sure, no, make sure they're in church right after youth camp for the next month, don't let them miss, don't let them go to camp. Please don't let them go because you're doing them a great disservice. Hallelujah. You can go. (laughs) At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.